lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That's me. With me, as always, Super Producer Brandon Newman, my father, Michael Lick Sr. Dad, how you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderfully, Mike. Just, just wonderfully. We have all kind of great sports stories going on now, especially in the NBA after the U.S. Open finish at the L.A. Country Club. I know you were there. Uh, I think on Thursday and. From everybody's reaction to it, hoping that it will never, ever, 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 ever be at the L.A. Country Club again. <laughs> you know how wild it is and how bad you've got to be to unite basically the entire world of golf right now? Like one of the most fractured sports that we have embroiled in a controversy around the merger between Liv and the PGA and all these warring factions. And L.A. Country Club was such an affront to everyone's good time at the U.S. Open. They have somehow gotten everybody on the same page. Dad, I'm almost impressed. Uh, it was it's amazing you know waiting to hear of the drama now again we had never seen publicly on the golf course you know live players and pga players like rory McIlroy and brooks kepler walking down the fairway talking you know you everybody wants a steel cage match you know you weren't getting that but you're right everybody was united on the fact that the the fairways were too wide a problem i'd like to have every single time i like to go on the golf course have someone say the fairways are almost you almost can't miss them but the rough was ridiculous and then the whole fan thing about they only had about 20,000 you know available each day and the members were buying up tickets and yada 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 and just just the the is it would it be the uppityness of that club it sounds like a real real thrill of a club to be a part of right that they just sit there and old from the steps, you know, on everything you do. Don't have your shirt like that. Don't wear your hair like that. Don't stand over there. They seem like a real winning group over there. <laughs> yeah, the sign says long-haired freaky people need not apply, yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently. So uh, after that adventure at LA Country Club, rest assured, 
Uh, I doubt anyone's going to have to worry about that for a good long while here. I do appreciate y'all's merch shop, though, and I'll be walking around repping L.A. Country <laughs> Club uh, for the foreseeable future here. We got a great show for you guys today, though. As always, uh, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well as DraftKingsNetwork.com and Samsung TV Plus uh, live 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern there. Bud Elliott from uh, 24-7 Sports, recruiting analyst over there, also part of the Cover 3 podcast. Going to join us to talk a little Elite 11, Dad. The top quarterback prospects in high school are out in El Segundo, not far from where I live, uh, slinging the rock around. So we're going to get a little read on how some of those guys did, some curious words from Nick Saban, and a look towards college football season since we're always excited for that. But, Dad, you mentioned the NBA went sort of crazy this weekend. Like, we have got – a smorgasbord of NBA headlines to get to this morning here. And thankfully, none of them have to do with John Morant yet. But, uh, Dad, over the weekend, we had the Phoenix Suns start shooting their shot again. They uh, set to finalize a trade that would send all Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, several second-round picks, and a pick swap to the Washington Wizards in exchange for all-star guard Bradley Beal. Dad, Bradley Beal had the only no-trade clause in the NBA at the moment, which drove down the price a lot in this situation. But my God, what an absolute wash. The Wizards are a deeply unserious basketball franchise and continue to get taken out behind the cleaners. This is one of the most embarrassingly lopsided trades we've seen in a while. Even if it needed to happen, even if this was probably a long time coming, and even if it was the old regime that gave him that no-trade clause, it's still on paper is one of the more embarrassingly lopsided moves we'll see in quite some time. It's amazing that nobody would get the answer to that question if you just asked a while ago, who was the only NBA player without a no-trade clause? I don't think Bradley Beal is going to be the top of, of anybody's you know head on that one. So that was that was a bit of a stunner. Now, it certainly makes for an interesting team there with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. There are those analysts that have immediately made them the best team in the West. I certainly would not go that far. Let's see Kevin Durant play a full season and let's see what kind of what kind of support group that they can have, you know, after getting Kevin Durant and what they had to give up. And now the same here, you know, is it going to be the three stars and who else can you get? you know, to kind of fill in the slots. But, you know, this is one of those that has a domino effect. Chris Paul found out about the trade from his son, um, and he thinks Isaiah Thomas, who is a good friend with Matt Ishbia, the new owner of the Suns, had a lot to do with this trade. Uh, and he said, listen, he wasn't bitter about it. He said it's business. It's the way it goes. And then he'll see what kind of option he has. The Wizards half-heartedly saying maybe they'll sign Chris Paul, you know, to a deal which isn't going to happen. They'll either buy him out or trade him to another team. I don't see the, any way Chris Paul is playing for Washington this year. Yeah, you mentioned Chris Paul's feelings. This was him on Good Morning America. Chris Paul had been flying to New York to promote his new book that's coming out and instead ended up sitting across from Michael Strahan having to answer questions like this. I'm driving in this morning and we got the ticker tape thing outside of our building. What is and that? I see this potential blockbuster deal between you and Bradley Bill that may take you from Phoenix to Washington and vice versa. Hmm. I was surprised. What are your first thoughts on that? I was surprised too. <laughs> <laughs> I found out on the plane yesterday flying here for this. You know, in this league, anything can happen. So you just figure out what's next. Hmm. 
You literally found that on the plane. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. What George, don't, first reaction? Don't push him any further. He's trying to be nice about it. Yeah, he it. is. Yeah. Right. yeah. What's happening? <laughs> Michael, what are you doing? Push him further. Get yeah. the sound bite. Yeah. You know how to do this. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was going honestly, a little, little further there. I, I did too, but Dad, to be honest, the Chris Paul part of this is really the least interesting part to me. It got the most pub because Chris was out in public talking about this. But like you said, it sounds like if they're going to trade him, it would be to Los Angeles. And Chris Paul, who went out to Arizona in the first place because he wanted to be closer around his family, it sounds like would either end up there or if Washington can't find a trade partner and they waive him, it sounds like then the Lakers, who we'd imagine, and it was long rumored he might go and sign with his buddy LeBron James. But either way, Dad, we're past the best Chris Paul years. I think this postseason and this season run, it became clear that the guy who was an incredibly integral part of that Phoenix run to the finals against Milwaukee a few years ago, who was the adult in that room in a backcourt that featured Devin Booker as he ascended to star status, that's not the Chris Paul that we have anymore. Obviously, injury is always a part of the equation with him. But I think now we've seen the skills atrophy enough to where he's not going to be the main piece on a championship player. He might be a great accent. He's going to be a guy that can certainly help you from a leadership standpoint. But overall, his basketball days of really affecting the bottom line of a team, I think are probably done at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, comparing these two, uh, obviously, I think Beal at the point where he could probably help this team more, especially, you know, in the playoffs. Chris Paul has gone through some nicks there, you know, and hasn't been available all the time. So th this, well, I think this puts him in a, in a better spot uh, as long as everybody is healthy. But I still say, well, you know, what kind of what kind of supporting cast will you have? Now, they're not overrun by a tax bill like, go say, Golden State or some other teams just yet. So maybe they can still get some pieces around them. They might, that's like, I imagine DeAndre Ayton's got to get moved at this point, right? Like you need to fill out your depth somehow on this team and moving DeAndre Ayton for a few more players that might be able to help fill that role probably feels like it's inevitable at this point. But dad, everyone's going to point to what you talked about. Are they going to be the favorites or not? They shouldn't be. Denver should be the favorites until further notice. But if you're looking on the bright side with the Suns, your issue this last year was you traded for Kevin Durant, you were a top-heavy team, but most importantly, Kevin Durant coming off of injury and going in and integrating with your team on short notice here. In the best version of this, you're going to now have a full season for everybody to play together. You're going to have this thing with time to actually get to know each other, learn how all the parts work. The part that is worrisome is Bradley Beal hasn't played more than 60 games since 2018-2019 season. Kevin Durant's had injuries in the last few years, and you don't have a real true point guard on the roster at this point. So there's a bunch of things you need to worry about, but you got as much firepower as any if these guys are actually healthy and firing at all cylinders. So this kind of dad becomes like a bit of the Brooklyn Nets big three from a few years ago with Kevin Durant, oddly enough. I'd be curious on that end, Dad. People did the list of Kevin Durant's teammates over the recent number of years and the super teams he's formed. Does that have any effect on the way that you view Kevin Durant in this entire prism of how many different superstar-laden teams he's forced his way onto and orchestrated? Well, again, in this day and age of the NBA, name me an NBA team that has won it with just one su one superstar. Just one, you know, nowadays you need at least two and why everybody gets upset is because the players are starting to dictate where they go and not just the teams. When the teams traded and made super teams, 
you know, years ago, it was fine because the teams did it. But God forbid the players have a voice in it and try and manipulate it themselves. It doesn't do anything, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I know there are those like our buddy Stu Gatz that won't recognize Kevin Durant's championships. Kevin Durant will go down as one of the greatest basketball players to ever play. And, you know, he's a guy that there are those like Dame Lillard. We'll see if it stays like that, that says, I want to stay with one team and I want to win here, that being Portland. We'll see if if that time is really up on that. But he has stayed there. Or you have guys like Kevin Durant who have bopped around. It doesn't it doesn't bug me like it bugs other people. You know this is a this is a different era, and I'm not getting into guys in this era couldn't play in the older era. I'm not saying that at all. I think that's a ridiculous conversation to have, in my opinion. But guys go about it differently now because they have a little more power in where they want to move and what they want to do. So he'll go down as one of the greats, and I absolutely acknowledge his rings, that he is a champion. And I, But I understand how some say he's just moving around, trying to move around to the next great team to get a ring. But, hey, if I hadn't had a ring, man, and I had that ability, I'd be trying to get one as well. We always do the eras comment with LeBron James, but putting a seven-footer with handles and a shooting range like Kevin Durant in the 70s would be like handing a person on the Titanic a cell phone. I would pay pay-per-view prices to see their face. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness getting ready to go in college basketball, and we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with a championship, much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year and is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney though one thing's for certain it's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I will say, Dad, because these are all going to be connected, but kind of putting a bow on the situation with Phoenix and Bradley Beal. It's been a few years. Injuries have been a big part of why that we've seen him play at an all-NBA level. And honestly, who could blame him in Washington where, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and they're playing for the Washington Wizards, does anyone care or hear about it at this point? I'd imagine being around this group, we're going to get the best version of Bradley Beal that's still left possible. There is part of me that appreciates... Matt Ishbia and the Suns trying to go at it as hard as they do, considering like what we talked about with Michael Jordan the other day, you don't actually have to try or do well for these franchises to increase in value and be a great asset in your portfolio. So Matt Ishbia, who obviously played for Tom Izzo, has that background, coming in and throwing haymakers right away. It's a strategy we saw at the forefront of the culture war in last year's playoffs, where you have the Denver Nuggets and the Boston Celtics, these homegrown teams making their way through, going up against teams like the Lakers 
that had remade themselves of the trade deadline or the Suns that had traded for Kevin Durant in the middle of this season. And we're going to see how far this can go. Again, this has a lot to me in my mind of similarities with that Brooklyn Nets squad that Kevin Durant was a part of where they came together for that one season and were it not for injuries looked like they were going to mow through everybody we'll see if they can find defense or a bench but they've certainly got high 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 firepower that I am excited to watch yeah the Brooklyn Nets went from you know super team to the most underachieving super team put together in the history of super teams being put together. And I don't think Phoenix would ever want to be, you know, compared to something like that. But you got one of the major players of that in Kevin Durant. And once you once you traded for Kevin Durant, it it was twofold. One, that means you're going for it. And two, it means you're on the clock because you don't know how long you're going to have Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know, the guy bops well, around a bit. I would say you have a lot better chance of retaining him because Kyrie Irving is not here this time around. Like, that seemed to be the time bomb for everyone last time in Brooklyn. Now, you're right. Kevin Durant's certainly been nomadic. He's got his own history with that. But it does seem a lot less tied to any sort of, like, tangible drama than when Kyrie's on the team with you. Well, there's the drama, and then there's the not winning. You know, Kevin Durant bops around to these teams to win championships, you know, not to just see different cities. So if Phoenix all of a sudden isn't winning, you know, he may say, okay, it's not working here. You know, as I'm getting up there in age, let me try somewhere well, else. So that, that, that's why I mean, I, you're, you're, you're on the clock when you get Kevin Durant. Well, I guess I don't know if, I don't know if I totally agree with that. Like Kevin Durant left golden state because it seemed very clear one, he had accomplished what he set out there to yeah, do. And there seemed exactly. to be some pretty real friction with Draymond green and company. There was always going to be question of how much credit he was going to get. And so after that leaves and goes to Brooklyn with Kyrie, where that thing breaks up because of Kyrie Irving, it was less winning and more the circumstances and situation that had been created outside of his control. You can maybe argue that going back to leaving Oklahoma city to go to, you know, in the first place, but that was in quest of that first championship. So I, I, this one's the most curious to me because you got a great opportunity for Kevin Durant. You're getting up there in years right now too. And there doesn't appear to be an agitator. Like it's been a while since we've had to engage with Bradley Beal meaningfully, but he doesn't seem like a guy that's got that Kyrie potential to blow this thing up. Neither does Devin Booker, who seems like he just wants to chuck up shots and hang out. So it does seem like they could have some semblance of stability as we march into this new apron era of the NBA, where eventually the financials will catch up. I saw they've now, I think committed to these three guys have something like three quarters of a billion dollars in guaranteed salary tied up on the books. So that could come into play, but personality wise, it does seem more stable than what we've seen with Kevin Durant in a while. So in two years, if they haven't reached their potential, haven't even gotten to the Western conference finals or won a title, you think Kevin Durant's going to hang around now, again, his deal is three more years. He's, he's, he's under contract this year for 46 next year for 49 and then 25, 26 for 53. I guess I, I get the drama side of it. I'm not now talking about the winning side of it. You know, if they're not winning, if they don't put this thing together, it does, it, does he end up looking for another team? I don't know. Uh, because, again, you know, he is starting to get up there in age. He's 34. So by this point, you're talking 36. So maybe he will just stay here. But I don't know. I, I get the drama part of it. I understand that. Now I'm talking about the winning part of it because he's still not changing yeah. teams to find less drama. He's changing teams to still win a title. 
But I guess that's my thing is it's more been about the circumstances around that that have led to them not winning. It's been the drama in those spots. I don't necessarily think it's always been Kevin Durant just being like, well, it's not going well here, but there's nothing else wrong, so I'm going to leave. There's always been another circumstance that sort of forced its way into the conversation for him. So that to me is the only difference. But you're right. Maybe the priorities change later on in his career and we'll see. Dad, the other interesting tentacle to this was the Miami Heat factor, who were the other team that people thought might be in on the Bradley Beal sweepstakes that, according to a lot of reports I saw, never really made an offer that was going to top anything the Suns made, which is saying a lot because that wasn't a steep offer, and did it under the guise of wanting to go after Damian Lillard, though we saw the other day a report from Shams on the Pat McAfee show that apparently Damian Lillard wants to stay in Portland and wants that team to get better. Now, we didn't hear that from Dame himself, Dad, but that if you're Miami's got to be a pretty big shot across the board if that was your offseason plan coming off this finals trip here. Is any part of you surprised by this from Dame anymore at all, or are you surprised that we keep going after it? No, I mean, you keep wondering when Damian Lillard's going to say, you know what, okay, I've, I've had enough. It's time for me to, uh, to, to move on. He's, what, 32 years old? And everybody keeps talking about how they appreciate and respect what he's doing. So I, I, I guess it all comes down to what, what he feels about it. Does he feel good about this? Because if his career ends and he never wins a title, he'll go down, you know, with the, the Moses Malones of the world, the Charles Barkleys of the world as some of the greats to not win an NBA title. And then how, how does that, how does time look at that? When Dame Lillard's name comes up down the road, is it, yeah, but boy, he, you know, he stuck to his guns, you know, he wasn't changing teams or would it be better off to change a team and go get a title? You know, you want to get a ring, you know, is it at the at the thought of you leaving the team that you said you wanted to stay with to get better when it's not getting better and it doesn't look like? Look at the West right now. No one thinks Portland's going to be one of the top teams. Let's see what they do in the draft, but it's little even there. So, I don't know. It comes down to personal preference of do you want to be known as just, you know, that one-team guy? I, I want to – weigh the scales of the Damian Lillard situation because I think his more than any requires us to really put ourselves in his shoes. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings, and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Dad, the Damian Lillard situation fascinates me to no end because, again, on one hand, we've got what's likely a very disappointed Miami Heat crowd if this is true and Damian Lillard does not want to be uh, anywhere else but Portland. And I went back and looked at his likes on Twitter because that's journalism in 2023 and did notice him like a tweet from a while back. This was earlier in June basically saying that Damian Lillard in an interview prior to that had said and been asked the question about when the 2024 season starts, will Damian Lillard be in Portland? And he said yes, and the rest of the tweet insinuated, but everyone's going to run with some C.J. McCollum quote about his future. So Dame has been trying to tell us for a while he does not want to leave Portland. The question becomes, is that any sort of indictment on him as a competitor? Because 
I can say comfortably, he's not going to win a championship in Portland. We saw their best shot in 2019 when they made their one Western Conference Finals appearance, but at this point, they've made it abundantly clear over a long stretch of time they cannot or will not put together a team around Damian Lillard that's willing and able to uh, win a title. And so with that knowledge, and you could say, hey, Dame probably believes any team he's on is capable of winning a championship and all these things, but at some point, is it you know better so you got to do better or is there part of you because there's part of me that appreciates this guy understanding he's got a pretty good lot in life he is rich respected and comfortable with his surroundings right he's a guy who's been paid max player money in his career has been one of the best was respected enough by his peers to be a part of the NBA all 75 team despite never having a championship never having an MVP I don't even think having finished second in MVP voting in anything ever he's got dame time everyone loves watching him play and he is largely recused from the weird championship conversation the rings or bust conversation that we have around most NBA superstars because he's weathered the storm and stayed so dad when you look at it like that he's got a pretty good gig and willingly wading into any other water would seem like something most of us would say hell no why would i do that too so i mean again it's your perspective of how you want to look at it you know if you're a fan you want your guy you know if you're a portland fan obviously you'd like him to stay there but they've had since 2012 since he got there year after year after year to sit there and try and get better. So for Damien to say, I want the team to get better around me, dude, you've been there a long time. <laughs> One Western Conference final, and I agree with you, Mike, they ain't getting to the finals and they're not winning it uh, in the next few years. Again, he's 32 years old. So what do we think of, and, and, and you're saying, let's put ourselves in his shoes. Does the word satisfied come into play where he's satisfied with where he is? Now it makes yeah. it sound like it makes it sound like he should want more, right? He should want to win a title in Portland. And we're saying, Dame, you should see the writing on the wall. It's not going to happen there, even though your confidence level says I can be that guy to help bring this, you know, this city a championship. But then there's the other side that says, Man, you're a competitor. You want to go win a ring, you might have to go somewhere else to do it. So it depends on what side of the fence you're on. But the word satisfied. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, if he's been his whole life, you know, his whole career in Portland, if he likes it there, I've said that all the time. What what motivates a player and or a coach to move somewhere if they have the chance to? Is it geography? Is it family? Is it ring? What is it? Maybe he's happy there. Maybe he just enjoys it there. Maybe he's satisfied. Is that a bad word? Is that a bad word in professional sports to have your professional athlete who has not won a ring but not move around to find a ring, say he's satisfied. And again, I'm just putting myself in his shoes and just throwing this one thing out there. I don't know if that's his thought process, but it would be so wrong for a player to say, you know what? All good here. I enjoy here. I, I like my life here. It's been here. I'd like to finish with this team. I'm fine with whatever happens. If you were in his shoes, would you do the same thing? Would you stay the way he has? I have always, always wanted a ring. And to, to me and my team sport, you know, that's now again, in my career, I didn't have choices when I left. I got, I got released. So it's a lot different than these great players. But there is part of me that would, if I had accomplished what he'd accomplished, you know, the, the all NBAs, the all stars, you basically accomplished everything but a ring. At some point, 
I would say I want to I want to I want to be part of a team that gets a ring. But again, you want to be a, a, a main part of it. I remember, you know, my teammate Seth Joyner, who you know, we were phenomenal in, in Philadelphia, and the guy was an all, all pro and a Pro Bowl player. He moved out after you know Buddy left and through the co tight years, guys split up after free agency. He ended up winning a title in Denver. I don't think he thinks a whole lot of that because he wasn't a huge part of it. You know, I got to to run for the 49ers in 94 before I retired, and they didn't sign me. It was in like week 12. They didn't sign me, but if they did, they won the Super Bowl that year. But I can honestly say it would have been nice to have a Super Bowl ring, but I would not have been a big part of that. So there's winning a ring and being a major part of that, which certainly Damian Lillard could still be, but maybe he's just satisfied where he is right now. Yeah, I look at Damian Lillard more like Reggie going and winning a ring with Green Bay when he left your guys' Eagles team. Like, if he went down to Miami, where everyone thought was going to pursue him, with Jimmy Butler and the Heat team we saw this year, they're instantly one of the top contenders in the Eastern Conference next year, knowing everything we know about Dame and what he could bring to that backcourt. So I think that definitely would be the comp. And you're right, knowing it's right there. You're the final puzzle piece in what looks like a championship outfit and culture already in Miami. That would be pretty hard for me to term down if I was in those shoes. Again, it's I'm not ready to use it as an indictment of Dame, the competitor, but if I'm in that case and you're looking at Miami, that seems like a pretty fun place to win a championship if you've got the opportunity, given what that team's history looks like. So uh, I would probably bite on that hook if it was presented in the water in front of me. Uh, we'll have plenty more time to get to this NBA news as the week continues to go on here. But, Dad, uh, I mentioned the U.S. Open was going on out here right in my backyard. Not too far from me was also the Elite 11, the top high school quarterback prospects in the country, coming together in El Segundo, California, to go ahead and sling the rock and give us a little preview of what we got coming forward. So to talk more about that, uh, we have 24-7 college football and recruiting analyst Bud Elliott joining us now on the podcast here. Bud, what's going on, man? What's going on, guys? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think I would have rather been at the U.S. Open, but it, it was it was still fun to see kind of the future of there. <laughs> yeah, it had to it had to be pretty interesting. So, paint the picture for us for people that have never been to this. Uh, you know, you've got the top, obviously, eleven quarterback prospects coming up in the high school class here. Uh, what were some of the names that you were most excited to see going into this weekend? Some of the names that most college football fans were most interested in. Sure. So they actually invite 20 because I think they don't want to like make anybody feel bad for finishing 11th. Like they don't want to imply 11th is last place. So they'll put the final, you know, 11 out there because you're still dealing with, with high school kids and they're, they're all, you know, on some level, they're all good prospects. As far as the guys that, you know, had that really early impact potential, uh, Dylan Riola, Georgia commit, you know, former Ohio State commit. That was a, a serious battle. You know, Nebraska was in there, USC, basically the, the who's who of college football. Uh, and he, he looked really good, right? Now, he didn't win the MVP. I think we had him second on 24-7 sports. But as far as the, the next level tools, like he looks as physically developed as the college counselors they had back at the, at the event, right? A Caleb Williams, a, you know, Jaden you know, Daniels, th those type of guys threw the deep ball well, seemed to know where to go with the football. It really just didn't have any, any true down days. Uh, a kid out of Carlsbad, California, Julian Sain, who's an Alabama commit, I was not completely sold on him going into the event because my only exposure that was at a seven on seven in Miami where I thought he was just kind of okay. But Greg Biggins, our West Coast scout, has been saying this kid's a stud. The release is lightning quick, decisive, knows where to go with the football. And I, I thought he had more arm juice. So 
I was kind of down on the kids Bama took last year in quarterback recruiting. It looks like the Tide really have one now. Uh, Those were were the top two coming out. So, but what what are some of the things they do? Because I always, you know, when when everybody starts to get blown away by kids throwing a ball in shorts and a T-shirt, you know, I've I've been one of these like, man, sometimes we go a little too far. So what are some of the other drills or things they're doing to show their skills? Sure. So I think that's a great question. They tried to evolve the event. Like if you look back 20 years ago, like first Elite 11 stuff, there were a ton of busts. Recently, they've been pretty good. Like CJ Stroud was the MVP, Bryce Young was second, like that that, that type of stuff. So they try to do a lot of drills that expose different weakness in, in players' games. So you know, for some guys, that might be the ability to throw on the move. For some, that might be how quickly you can make decisions. I, I know they also put them through the S2 testing, right, that they were doing for the NFL draft, you guys remember all, all the you know, kind of commotion that, that that caused for the uh, for the last year's NFL right. draft. The, the first night is really a, a drill station. They'll put them through the high speed camera work to, to evaluate the efficiency of, of their delivery, both in terms of ball speed and in terms of release time, but also how efficient it is. The second night is a scripted twenty throw pro day where they really try to hit all possible uh, you know weaknesses in your game to see how you do it, and also to see like. How do you struggle mentally if you miss a throw or two? Are, are you, do you start to press? Can you reset? Can, can you play with some tempo? Uh, day three is an accuracy challenge, and then the ability to play uh, seven on seven, where they bring in some of the better receivers, but also some of the better defensive backs in the country. And for that, like that, to me, I feel like you know being good at seven on seven is not a sign that you're going to make it. If you're legitimately bad at seven on seven. Going back to, like, just racking my brain, there's not a lot of guys who have been terrible at 7-on-7 who ended up being really good. I I think it says something. You need to be at least competent throwing the football when nobody's rushing you, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, we kind of see that statistically borne out when you make that jump from college to pro, you know, pro clean pocket throws, right? What you do when no one's around your feet, what you're able to carve up when you've got the most ideal situations there. So it's understandable. And you're right. It's so much more comprehensive. Dane Christ, a former teammate of mine, I was just talking to him the other day about those early elite 11s. And he's like, yeah, we used to just, you know, get a phone call and it told you you were invited. Now this is a, you know, a circuit, like you said, there's a whole way that guys have to earn their way into the back leg of this trip and ultimately get to this point. Um, going down, I'd be selfish if I didn't ask, but obviously we got a bunch of Notre Dame fans that listen to this podcast. CJ Carr, Notre Dame commit, also a part of the events here. Tell me, was there was there good news out of this? I saw some good buzz around him, but what did you see uh, from the Fighting Irish hopeful? Yeah, so I, I've seen Carr twice in the last six weeks. I, I saw him here in Orlando at, at OT7 where I thought he made a lot of high-level throws, and and that's something that continued at Elite 11. Like, Carr was a little bit up and down at times, but I thought the ups were really up. And, man, like, that's kind of what you want. You're going to bet on your coaching staff to have those ups show up, you know, show up more often, right, and, and, and have, have the downs show up less often. But you really want to see that high-level ability, and you don't want to see – you know, the misses occurring for things that maybe are are less correctable. Like, yeah, you know, I don't want to see the guy show up and have have him actually be five eleven when, when his huddle profile says he's six two, right? I, I don't want to have him have a huge hitch or or kind of you know, have his motion devolving into like a Byron Leftwich looking thing. So, you know, ultimately, I thought Carr looked strong. We had him squarely in our, our top five or six from the event, and that's I mean, you're, you're upper quartile there. So. I think Notre Dame fans should be extremely excited about C.J. Carr. He, he showed up at some big moments, too, for his high school team. 
So the one the one quarterback, and I guess he has to be a quarterback if it's not a nickname. If you, when your name's Air Nolan, I mean, there, there's no other position for you, correct? Uh, dude, he, he's been super productive in high school. Four thousand yard passer in Georgia. Obviously, like like deep playoff runs. He's getting bigger too. Like I, the last time I saw this guy, I don't remember him being that filled out, and he's kind of looking more like a college kid now. The release is lightning quick. I think the arm strength is enough. Ryan Day needs to be really excited. I know they lost that on, on Dylan Raiola, but Eric Nolan, as a if you want to say consolation prize, is a ridiculously good consolation prize. He, he's certainly a top guy for us. You mentioned and Dylan Raiola, obviously the crown jewel here, and a lot of people the way they talk about this opportunity with Georgia you know, acting like, all right, well, now Georgia has gone through these back-to-back titles. We kind of always make these comparisons to the beginning portions of the Saban dynasty at Alabama, where, you know, we feel like they've done it largely without having to have a future NFL player, a quarterback, even though, you know, we, we had that whole thing happen early on there. So, but when you look at the Georgia quarterback room and what this could potentially mean, how big of a shift could this be for them? How important is this for the next step of what Georgia hopes is a Saban-like dynasty? I think it could be huge because let's say maybe you don't have that defensive line depth for a year. Maybe you don't have two lockdown corners, which would be kind of a surprise uh, for Georgia, given how well they have recruited that position. But maybe you have a year where the quarterback really has to carry you, not just be one of your better players, but what if he has to be your best player? I think Dylan, his ceiling certainly is a guy who where he could be the best player on what is typically in the last couple of years, the best roster in college football. I, I will say, though, talking to some guys who cover Georgia out there, they think Georgia's going to get 14 or 15 guys drafted and that Carson Beck, who's presumed to be the starter this year, is going to be one of those dudes. So Georgia may have like another NFL draft pick quarterback already, which kind of you know, ears perked up at that a little bit. Hey, bud, I, I, with with all these elite quarterbacks in your round, so over the years, how has it changed with conversation really off the field? And how much do you hear of talk of the NIL money going around with these guys? So basically everybody's going to get some kind of NIL deal. I think the major change is like last year, we, we had heard about some of the huge deals these guys got. And, and I think the Athletic had a couple of stories, maybe ESPN had a couple of stories about the size of those deals. This year, we're not really hearing just how big those deals are. Obviously, the, the Rashada deal with, with, with Florida uh, that fell through, they're certainly still getting them. I think the money has shifted somewhat to the transfer portal to where the, the more experienced, more proven players are getting a little bit more, but the very best quarterbacks are still getting paid. Let, let's, let's not fool ourselves. That's the most important position in the sport, even though I love Lyman, but like, you know, offensive tackle will be two. Uh, quarterbacks are, are still far and away number one. They're still getting it. I think they're just keeping a little closer to the vest, which which may not be a bad thing, because if you're out there as the, the million-dollar-a-year guy, that's a lot of pressure on you as a 17, 18-year-old kid. It is. There's a lot that comes with it, and and – I think this process with Elite 11 is sort of emblematic of just how professionalized the process continues to get for young players coming up in a way that is so, so different from even, you know, a decade plus ago when I was getting recruited. So it's uh, a different world, but thankfully, bub, we got people like you helping breaking it down and helping feed it to the rest of us. So uh, we appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much, man. And as we get closer and closer to college football season, hope we'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate it, guys. See y'all. Thanks, bud. Awesome. Again, check out Bud Elliott. Does a great job covering college football recruiting over at 24-7 Sports. Also part of the Cover 3 pod with our Bud Tom Fornelli. 
uh, also. And dad, it, it was funny. So when I knew we were going to have Bud on and talk about this, I did talk to our buddy Dane Christ, who was a part of an Elite 11 quarterback class uh, back in 2007, 2008 that had some studs in it. And he said, he's like, there wasn't this elaborate process that got you over there. It was, you got a call, you went, and it was much more of a hang than any sort of real labor-intensive foray into quarterback play. So it really is the perfect sort of marker for what college recruiting and the college system has become for a lot of young players now. Oh man, it is. I mean, it's obviously done a, a 180 on, on, on where it is right now. It's, it's crazy how, how much it, it's gone on or, or what has gone on with it. The Dylan Riola really kind of struck me because I have a little bit of a connection. Noah's dad, Dominic Riola. Dominic Riola, for those that don't know, was one of the, what's the right word to use um <laughs> dirty he was a dirty player and i say that lovingly as a former offensive lineman who flirted with the line dominic riola was he was what joe flacco was to the elite conversation dominic riola probably was to the conversation about is this dirty or not this dude i did his last college game nebraska played northwestern i think in the alamo bowl and it was a bloodletting and, I mean, what Riola was doing, him and that old line to that defense of Northwestern uh, was was amazing. And I saw Dominic at the Super Bowl, and it's just so wild to see this guy who the, – the perfect way I can describe him is you'd love him if he was your teammate, you hate him when you're playing against him. That was Riola. That, that, this, that this dirty, gritty – and I hate using the word dirty, but this, this line-stepping offensive lineman – who would, would block you to the echo echo of the whistle and maybe more, turned out the number one recruit in the country. Not number one quarterback, but number one recruit, and he's a quarterback. He's at the most skilled position that there is. Come, this, this dude would be taking a snap from his father. Uh, it's just so wild that the position difference here. But Dylan, he's right in a, the, the place I live in Scottsdale. He's like 15 minutes from there, from Pinnacle High School. So I look forward to keeping an eye on him. Looks like one hell of a prospect. But we all know with all the names we've just thrown around, Mike, that what's the percentage of A, which guys bust, and B, which guys are not with that original team they committed with, you know, in the next year or two when they hit the transfer portal. Yeah, well, and I mean, listen, Kirby Smart's known kink of turning away high-talented quarterbacks in favor of lesser ones, see Justin Fields before, but you're right. What it's become is, hey, you're a quarterback room. You stockpile as many of these guys as you can. You get the best one of the bunch on the field, and then you understand that you're going to probably have to recruit more because, like you said, the portal has offered these guys a chance to go play elsewhere. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. That means as we lurch towards March Madness, you can try and figure out who's going to win this whole thing. On the men's side, teams like UConn, Houston, and Purdue. On the women's side, South Carolina, Stanford, the Lady Irish and Notre Dame, or maybe Caitlin Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes finally get over the hump. Make the decision for yourself and head over and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code GOJO when you do. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get $150 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 
789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's finish this thing off with this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to send you off into your day, Dad, as you protest right now. What's going on? Well, I, I, I feel I have to do it like a, a PTI show when they do the errors at the end. I just want to correct something I said when I talked about guys who did not, uh, were great players and didn't win a title. I said Moses Malone, and I meant Carl Malone, Carl and Charles Barkley when we were talking about Dame Miller. So just wanted to make that connection. There we go. Errors and omissions, courtesy of our agent, Lou, who texted us both. Um, now uh, <laughs> that we've got that cleared up, let's get to this, that, and the third, because we want to be a show that honors and inte has integrity for information. These are three quick stories to finish off your day. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review, uh, leave us a five-star rating, let us know more of what you want to see. Dad, let's go to the College World Series. Among the many things that, uh, you know, we wanted to get to it at some point today. It's been a ton of fun. I've watched a bunch of it after not watching any college regular season baseball. Um, but the real show in Omaha is what goes on at Rocco's, the Jello shot competition yep. that we talked last week uh, with Scott, uh, with uh, Stephen Scott Shock about. Good Lord, I'm going to learn to talk at some point here. The Jello shot board at Rocco's across the street from the College World Series. Every year, a competition among the fan bases at the College World Series to see who can consume the most jello shots in the entirety of the tournament. The record had previously been set by Ole Miss, but dad, records were meant to be broken. And this year, which should surprise no one, LSU has broken the record the other day, hitting a mark of 21,000 jello shots. And dad, the way they did it is worth note. Todd Graves, who's the CEO and founder of Raisin Cane's Chicken, also, in breaking this record, set the Guinness world record for the most shots ordered in a single round of shots by ordering 6,000 jello shots for the fans there. As he tweeted, he broke the record, a Guinness Book of World Records record for a round of shots set by Merle Haggard in 1983 when she bought 5,095 shots for the entire bar at Billy Bob's in Texas. So congratulations to LSU for doing the thing that we all expected you to do. Yeah, I mean, it's no shock that they that they're leading this thing and leading it by a ton. I mean, over 12, almost twelve thousand nine hundred shots. Next closest is Wake Forest with like what fifty one hundred. I mean, it's it's almost embarrassing to the other schools, especially like Virginia and Stanford, who are barely you know over five hundred and six hundred. So, and again, just so everybody understands who doesn't know about this, this isn't the players doing Jello shots. This is the fans. Doing, that would be jello sick, shots. though, if the that players would be, were actually some, going out and yeah. accomplishing. Yeah, you get some interesting and, baseball if it were the players doing this. <laughs> uh, and the money raised by this goes towards a charitable donation to a local food bank also, so it does a bunch of good. It's fun, healthy competition. But, Dad, you're right. This is just as much about celebrating LSU as it is about shaming Virginia that lost to freaking Stanford. 
Chris Long, Macon, Caroline Darney, all friends of the program here. I don't know how you guys are going to look this program in the eye anymore. If there was relegation in college sports, I would call for it here because you can't lose to Stanford in a jello shot contest. There's got to be some bit of pride in that program's fan base about this, and it just did not show up to the College World Series. So great shame on them. Yeah, uh, there, there is. You know, at some point, you Virginia fans have to look at the board and you have to see it and say, okay, we have to step up. And you had nobody step up. That's the shame of it all. You didn't have the fans there that stepped up to seize the moment that said, we can't be here. Not only last, but behind Stanford as well. So yeah, that's a double whammy for the least amount that you did. And nobody had the gumption to step up and say, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. If nothing else, if nothing else, just get us past Stanford so we beat them and we're not last, but not that wasn't done. You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen, Virginia. Either way, no bueno. Uh, Dad, let's get to that. Uh, we mentioned there was no Ja Morant news in the NBA, sort of. So we had had the 25-game suspension handed down. It sounds like the NBA PA is going to appeal that and try and get it less. But from Tim McMahon over at ESPN – we had heard, and he said, quote, I've heard indirectly that Ja and people close to Ja, perhaps formerly close to Ja, have this feeling that the NBA is out to get them, that the media is out to get them. Now, Dad, I want to take this with a grain of salt because it sounds like a bit of a game of telephone from one to the other, but if that's even close to the sentiment coming out from Ja's camp, we should not expect anything to change about his situation after these 25 games or anytime soon. Jaw, you know, it, again, you're right. If you just take it from what we're reading from this, that the only change Jaw is going to make is enough to get him back on the team and playing again, and maybe not in a position to get nailed again and suspended again, because that's what we're looking for, right? Everybody, you know, Jaw put out the statement of how sorry he is and blah, 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 which, which we are all allowed to go, blah, 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 blah. We don't care what you say. It's about your actions, not your words, which is, and he's not the only one. It's in a lot of cases when people say they're sorry, say they're going to change. That's all well and good, but until you do it, I don't want to hear it anymore. Show me. Don't tell me. So we're going to have to wait and see. And then then it's always when somebody puts out an apology or something, it's like, was he sincere? Was she sincere when they did that? Again, actions will, will speak a lot louder. Uh, but yeah, if already, and if that is true, that it just feels like the league is out to get them, you know, that's, that's not starting this thing off too great. We'll see. I, I, I don't know if the, if the suspension is going to go down. Maybe it will, because technically it was three times more than the first suspension of eight games to 25 games. It's a touch over three times more. Maybe it will get lowered some. We'll see. Maybe it will. We will see. Dad, let's get on to the third that is the most important story in the world right now. I don't feel like that's hyperbole, as we have got a missing submersible near the coast of Newfoundland, near the Titanic. Over the weekend, a submersible, so not a submarine, it is not anything registered or validated by any sort of governing body, made a trip. It is courtesy of a company called Ocean Gate Expeditions, took five people in a submersible metal tube on a quest to go and visit the wreckage of the Titanic. 
What we've got now is a situation where the submersible lost contact about an hour and 45 minutes into the dive towards the Titanic. The Titanic is 13,000 feet underwater, and this crew and ship have enough life support, including oxygen, for about 96 hours right now. Dad, being lost in a tube that is about the size of a large MRI machine underwater with five people on close quarters is about the most hellish thing I can imagine. We certainly hope somehow against all odds that these people can come back safely. But dad, $250,000 ahead got you onto this submersible. There's apparently a British billionaire and adventurer on this submersible as well, all of whom signed up willingly for something that seemed to have a very low probability of success. First and foremost, I mean, all you can do is is hope for their safety. And as each hour passes, it just looks more grim. It's just such a, that that's, that's the horrible part about this. But to agree to go down in this thing, they showed it. it. It looks, you said it, it's like an MRI cylinder that you sit in and it's basically run by a, a gaming control. I mean, they were showing the insides of it. There's not much to it. I, I, I would have looked in that and said, wait a minute, we're going down over two miles in this, which has not been approved anywhere, uh, you know, for something like this. It's, I, I'm stunned that these people were looking for an incredible adventure, I guess. And and again, man, you hope this can end up a, a great story or a great ending. I don't know if it will or not, but I, I can't believe when they showed this vessel, how much there wasn't to this thing that was going to go down over two miles. The CEO of OceanGate, Stockton Rush, said in the news clip that's gone viral explaining this process, he goes, it's like an elevator. It shouldn't be difficult to do. My brother in Christ, some things should be difficult. Some things should require technical prowess to do, and going 14,000 feet deep in the ocean is probably one of them. One of them that shouldn't be is downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you do it. Make sure you check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Thanks, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Go, go. Boom. Money in the bank. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.